2: Well, good morning, and welcome to another interactive instalment of African Dialogue. You listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. It's great to be back after a long, uh, big experience of not being well with the flu, but it's great to be back on the program. Remember, you're currently listening to us on the frequency nine six two five kilohertz on the thirty one meter band to southern Africa on DSTV. Remember, we're on channel nine zero two, and if you're listening to us from the USA, you can call us on 605-475-1711 and listen to us telephonically at no extra costs. Well, on our program today, we're talking about the 14th Congress of the International Radiation Protection Association, which is currently being held at Cape Town at the International Convention Center in South Africa. We'll be crossing live there to find out what's happening there. But before we get into that, let's get our news from Anne Musa.
3: In the headlines, former liberation movements accuse Western countries of wanting to effect regime change within Southern Africa. A medical student accused of assisting her medic husband to plot a biological attack in Kenya has appeared in court. And the World Health Organization Confident Brazil has the Zika virus threat under control. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musam. Former liberation movements say corruption and weak internal democratic processes are some of the subjective threats to the existence. South Africa's ruling ANC, Chama Chama Pinduzi of Tanzania, Frelima of Mozambique, Swapo of Namibia, Angola's MPLA and ZANU-PF of Zimbabwe met in Zimbabwe over the past few days to take stock of developments in their countries. They say some Western countries want to effect regime change within Southern Africa. ANC Secretary General Gwede Mantashe says some internal problems are also making them vulnerable to these alleged attempts at regime change.
4: internal to movements, corruption is the biggest threat because it is damaging the image of former liberation movements and their government. And that is actually causing electorate to lose faith in their own movement. The second one is weak internal democratic practices, where we all Face similar challenge with regard to conducting credible, free and fair internal elections to party. Where you find that good cadres of the movement get marginalised, all those issues impact negatively on the internal democracy of the liberation, and they are weakening the liberation.
3: Babies and children are among more than 100 people who have died in detention the CNA military barracks in northeast Nigeria, where suspected Boko Haram members are being held. Amnesty International says around 1,200 people, one in 10 of whom are children, are detained in Kiwa barracks in the city of Maiduguri. The rights group has urged President Mohamedou Buhari to uphold his promise to investigate the deaths, release the children in detention, and shut down Giwa barracks immediately. British Prime Minister David Cameron has described Afghanistan and Nigeria as fantastically corrupt countries. In a video released, Cameron was caught on camera making the remarks to the British Queen and some political figures while speaking about Thursday's anti-corruption summit to be held in London with Afghanistan and Nigeria in attendance. Reacting to Cameron's comments, Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari accused the British Premier of looking at an old snapshot of the country. The Afghan embassy in London have also called the Prime Minister's comments unfair. The wife accused of assisting her medic husband to plot a biological attack in Kenya has been extradited from Uganda to Kenya. Nusiba Muhammad Hajj has appeared in an Nairobi court. Police allege Haji, a medical student in Uganda and wife of medical intern Muhammad Ali Abdi, was an accomplice in a foiled plan to launch an anthrax attack in Kenya by a cell of extremist medics linked to the Islamic State group. Police have applied for permission to keep her in custody for an additional 30 days for investigations. The magistrate will rule on the police's application on Monday. And finally, the World Health Organization says it's confident authorities are doing all they can to reduce the threat from the Zika virus. The announcement by the UN Health Agency comes just 11 weeks from the start of the Olympic Games in Brazil. To date, the disease has been associated with more than 1,200 cases of microcephaly in Brazil. The World Health Organization spokesperson Christian Linmeyer.
5: Effective vector control is what is most important in going ahead with the Olympics and we're pretty confident that the authorities uh, in Brazil, together with the Olympic International Olympic Committee, are, are doing their best to get the vector control situation on the ground under control.
3: Recapping the top stories, former liberation movements accuse Western countries of wanting to effect regime change within Southern Africa. A medical student accused of assisting her medic husband to plot a biological attack in Kenya has appeared in court and the World Health Organization confident that Brazil has the Zika virus threat under control.
4: Hello, listener. Join Channel Africa in its 50th anniversary celebrations. Channel Africa is turning 50 in May this year. Join us as we move through memories of this station since
6: 1966.
1: Here at Channel Africa, we say we are the voice of the African. And
0: welcome to Africa. The day. Get to know
7: Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views, and great African entertainment. Channel Africa. Africa.
5: Africa.
0: You
7: can now catch Channel Africa on GSTV Audio bouquet
0: Channel 902. Channel Africa,
7: the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Joy Pumapi, the Executive Secretary of the African Leaders Malaria Alliance, and an alliance of 49 African heads of state and government committed to an, an Africa free of malaria. And as we recognize at this turn of uh, the development era when we are getting out of the MDGs into the SDGs, we must also appreciate that Channel Africa is turning 50. As it turns 50, it is absolutely astounding the level of commitment that this channel has given to growth and development during the MDG era. And this level of commitment that has kept us apprised of what is happening on the continent. The challenges that we face, the opportunities for growth and development have been part of the driving force that has made the MDGs an era of success for the continent. We in the malaria field, fighting against the scourge, working aggressively towards an Africa free of malaria, are convinced that a partner like Channel Africa is absolutely critical during the SDG period. For the next 15 years, every African country that is experiencing the scourge of malaria will be working hard to wipe malaria off the face of the continent. And we will be relying on the aggressiveness and the effectiveness and the comprehensiveness of the coverage that Channel Africa can give to this fight so that every single African and every single partner on the continent can be engaged in this fight. Channel Africa, happy birthday and welcome to this new era of sustainable development and we look forward to continuing to partner with you as we free Africa of malaria.
2: Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African renaissance. And if you're listening to us on our shortwave service, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to southern Africa. And if you're listening to us on DSTV, we're on Channel 902. Don't forget that you can also find us uh, in the USA by calling us on the number 605-475-1711. That's 605-475-1711. That's a way that you can listen to us with no extra call. Costs via the USA, and hey, we want to hear from you. Send us your SMSs plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Your views are welcome, or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica dot Well, today we're looking at the fourteenth conference of the International Radiation Protection Association, also known as the IRPA, which got underway in Cape Town, uh, which is the first for the continent. Now the con Has seen around 900 delegates from 72 countries participating on the events. Delegates heard yesterday that South Africa's nuclear procurement process is on track, but the announcement came with reminders of the 2011 Fukushima disaster and calls to ensure the preventative measures take center stage. Now we're going to cross live to the center itself where the conference is being held, the 14th conference of the International Radiation Protection Association. We know it's a pivotal time right now, especially in countries like South Africa that are moving into the realm of shifting into new nuclear forms of generating electricity uh, and then we've got shane there hopefully who's on the line that's shane Motlaloja, who is uh, the managing director of malepe holdings shane thank you for giving us your time
6: thank you very much and good morning
2: tell us a little bit about uh, really the conference itself why does it stand out for you
6: well, the conference is the first for South Africa, on the, I mean the first on the African continent. And it brings um, a number of delegates from over 72 countries, where we are discussing radiation protection. We are taking stock of what has happened in uh, uh, Fukushima and basically all over the world, and uh, you know, exchanging views and looking into the future because. Um, it is our view that uh, um, nuclear energy has a, um, a space or um, has, has something to do with um, the, the, the energy space.
2: But that said, tell us a little bit about the company that you're representing, Malepa Holdings, and on what capacity you are there at the conference.
6: Okay, um, actually Malepa Holdings is a consulting company in radiation protection But I'm here as a member of the Southern African Radiation Protection Association. Um, Some of our delegates are also attending the conference because uh, this is basically where we exchange views and, and ideas. And um, We also have the young professionals in the nuclear space, um, women in nuclear, they are also here, and a number of other delegates from the um, ESCOM, Quebec Power Station, and the regulator, the Department of Energy as well. So we are basically trying to discuss uh, ways and means of ensuring that Um, there is protection as far as radiation is concerned.
2: Now, Shane, you earlier highlighted that this is the first conference of this nature to be held on the African continent. Why is this conference being held on the African continent? And is it because you want to bring the people from across the world to Africa so that we can cooperate with African colleagues, especially in this industry?
6: Uh, Yes, indeed, but... uh in fact, the, the conference was awarded to South Africa in 2012 in Glasgow. Okay. And um, the next conference will be held in uh, 2020 in South Korea. So we also have colleagues from uh, Brazil, uh, Australia, and, and the U.S. who are bidding for the 2024 um, rights to host the conference. So indeed, every uh, four years, the colleagues and um, Everybody around the nuclear space would meet and discuss, um, uh, you know, progress that has been made and lessons um, learned throughout the entire period.
2: Mm. Now, we know that there's a big conversation taking place, especially in South Africa, about the issue of nuclear energy. And uh, we know that uh, South Africa is moving towards nuclear energy as part of its energy mix. And if people don't know what the energy mix, it's incorporating solar, uh, 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 different forms of energy such as nuclear, and also power stations in order to actually have a grid whereby multi-forms of electricity can be relied upon. Your thoughts about that shift? Do you think that it's complementary and it's required right now, especially in South Africa's development?
6: Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, look, we are not saying that uh, nuclear is the be uh, all and and all of of the energy mix, but we believe that it has a um, a role to play in the energy mix. Remember that in the State of the Nation address. The president did indicate that there are processes that are underway uh, for the um, establishment of a uh, 9.6 gigawatt um, power reactors. But I believe that that process is still underway and uh, the Department of Energy would be uh, best placed to, to you know, inform, inform the public of, of, of where the process is at the moment.
2: Mm. And South Africa is also a resources deficit, we know, Shane, with many citizens still reliant on charcoal and firewood, resulting in deforestation and also respiratory diseases. Also, is this the reason why the country would want to invest in nuclear technology and also the fact that we need that diversification as well?
6: Well, I believe that there's a number of reasons that we need to look at all the options that are on the table. Mm. And I think that from our side as radiation uh, professionals, we we, we are saying that we want to provide unbiased uh, views to ensure that whatever goes in there, we should be able to ensure that the public is protected from whichever energy source that we are going to use. So from our side, um, as far as this conference is concerned, we are not saying that uh, use nuclear, or don't use nuclear. We are looking at lessons that have been learned from previous accidents. We recognize that um, there may be accidents, and we want to ensure that the delegates, and when they go back, they're able to talk to their uh, colleagues and counterparts so that they, before they begin with anything, uh, probably during the uh, um, commissioning stage, emergency preparedness uh, procedures are in place, and they are able to ensure that if anything was to go wrong, we are ready for it. So we are not saying that um, South African government take a decision, don't take a decision. We are looking more at the protection mm. measures that need to be in place. Mm. And we need to, to ensure that uh, basically we are seeing from the uh, same uh, hymn book
2: Well, uh, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back to see those advantages and disadvantages on nuclear. And looking back at the conference itself, what are we speaking about when we're speaking about radiation protection? You're listening to us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. We're broadcasting from Johannesburg into Cape Town, and we are actually broadcasting to the International Radiation Protection Association, which is being held at the Cape Town International Convention Center right here in South Africa. Africa. Hey, do you think radiation is something that we should be looking at? Is it an important theme, especially when it comes to African governments exploring nuclear as an option. Give us your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, 7930 Or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back after this and really explore some of the challenges also facing radiation protection from a scientific point of view. But we'll try to break it down so me and you can actually understand what we're talking about. But we'll be back after this.
3: If you have friends and family in the United States of America who enjoy staying in touch with news from home, Tell them they can call 605-475-1711 and listen to Channel Africa from any mobile phone. The best part is there is no extra cost for the call when it originates from the U.S. So tell your friends and family in the U.S. to listen to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
2: This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you to our online community that's listening to us there via our website. Thank you for joining us on www.channelafrica.co.za and thank you to those who are also on DSTV on Channel 902 on the audio bouquet. Hey, when I was away, I was actually listening to Channel Africa via that particular facility. Thank you also to our very loyal community who listens to us on shortwave on our frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter ban to southern africa in the program today we're discussing the 14th congress of the international radiation protection association which is being held at cape town international convention center it's the first of its kind to be held on the african continent bringing together around what they say 900 delegates from 72 countries participating in this particular event i'm not sure if it is 900 It seems like a huge number indeed but let's go back to what's happening there and uh, Touch base with uh, our guests on the line who are joining us from a conference center there, a conference room at that uh, convention center in Cape Town. We've got uh, Shane Mutlaloha, who is a managing director of Malepa Holdings. Uh, Let's see if we also have uh, Renate uh, Sawinski, who is a German and a president of the conference. Uh, Is Renate there, Shane?
6: Yes, she's, she's with me.
2: Thank you, Renate, for giving us your time. Tell us a little bit. You're also uh, the head of Section Safety and Security of Sources as part of this conference. Tell us about the significance and why this is a pivotal time to shift the conversation into uh, the African uh, continent, Renate.
8: Thank you. Good morning all together. My, ma- my name is Renate Czerwinski. I'm the president of the International Radiation Protection Association, And I can say we are really glad to be here. Uh, It is a really great hospitality uh, given by our African colleagues here. So we feel well. The the conference runs very well. We have only um, good feedback. So I congratulate the Congress organizers
2: Mm. And so why is it important, Renata, in terms for us to have this conference in Africa at this particular point, especially when we do have challenges of uh, uh, electricity generation on the continent?
8: Um, Yes, in all fields of application of ionizing radiation, you need radiation protection. And uh, if you want to have the nuclear energy here, if you want to um, use it, you need to implement an excellent safety culture, you need to implement a very good radiation protection, and from my point of view, you need trained and skilled people for that task.
2: Mm. Shane, Renate highlights a very interesting dynamic there, a capacity. Do you think Africa has the capacity for safety when it comes to radiation?
6: Uh, yes, indeed. There's a, quite a number of people who are attending um, the conference from the um, African continent. But in South Africa itself, there's quite a number of people at NEXA. There's quite a number of people at the Department of Energy. Uh, we can do uh, with uh, more support but the department itself has actually sent a number of students uh, to china to france for further education and uh, irpa conferences are one such um uh, vehicles that we use to to you know train people and give them more knowledge because sometimes you listen to i mean as we speak we listen to revered professors doctors in in this field of um of, of radiation or in the nuclear space. And believe you me, we are lagging a lot. And believe you me, uh, when the time comes, you will have um, people from this uh, continent who are ready to take on uh, the massive challenge, challenges that are there.
2: Mm. Let me come back to you. When most people think of radiation, they think of manufactured devices such as a nuclear bomb or maybe cancer treatments which emit high doses of radiation. In reality, however, radiation takes many forms and is always around us. Uh, Some types are more dangerous than others. Can you just uh, put us through what are we talking about when we speak about radiation and uh, radiation protection also, maybe in your second half of your answer?
8: Uh, We should never forget that the application of ionizing radiation has benefits. Um, And uh, when we look to the medical area, this is a huge area where the application of ionizing radiation, for instance, for cancer treatment, um, is essential. It's really essential. And to use it you have to have knowledge people, you have to optimize the application and also you have to justify the application in, uh, of ionizing radiation in, in the medical area but also in the industrial area.
2: Mm. And also where does it become a dangerous form of radiation, Rate? Right, eh?
8: Uh-huh. A dangerous form, um, of course, when when uh, you don't uh, manage um, an, a reactor correctly, and we and you don't have any safety and security uh, features, it can happen. Uh, accidents can happen, like in Chernobyl or in Fukushima, but uh-huh. we have to learn from them. We have to increase the safety. We have also to speak openly to the public. What can happen, uh, what will happen, what can we do if it, is, if it happens? Mm. So an um, open communication to the public is essential. Just before you apply to use any kind of uh, nuclear energy.
2: Mm. Uh, Shane, in terms of that, it seems like the NGOs that I'm very much pro-green have actually been against nuclear energy because of the safety and precautionary measures that should be taken. In terms of that, their concerns. Do Do you think that we can actually have a space whereby we do have a nuclear power plant? Uh, where we don't see uh, fatal radiation exposure do we have that capacity and what would we need as a country to manage that and ensure that uh, things are safe as we move forward into this realm
6: all right like i said earlier on um our role as um, radiation protection professionals is to serve as an independent unbiased source of scientific information And, Mm -hmm. and, and for me that is very key So it it does not help anybody when we really confuse the public with uh, incorrect messages. For example, Kuwait nuclear power station has been in operation for more than 20 years. I'm yet I'm to hear of mm. any uh, problems that we can really be putting up there and saying we haven't been doing our job properly. Mm. So it is, it is is first that we need to uh, create between ourselves as professionals or as operators and, and the public and ensure that we are sending out a consistent but correct and truthful uh, message through to
2: all. Uh, that, uh, that, uh, that,
8: sh- uh, sure, uh, go ahead, uh, Ranate. Uh, sure. Like,
2: Yes, yes, Yes. go ahead.
8: Uh, I have to apologize because I have to go to a further panel. That's fantastic. What I could recommend is we can speak tomorrow a second time (laughs) or you could come to our university day. Okay, fantastic.
2: Tell us a little bit about the university day. Yeah. Sorry? I was saying, tell us a little bit about that university day. When is it happening? So maybe people who are based in Cape Town can see what's happening there.
8: This would be very good because I'm proud that our uh, African colleagues here organize that uh, with presentations from renowned experts in radiation protection. Sure. Okay. For the moment, I say bye bye. If you want, we can have tomorrow again a phone
2: call. Well, we'll try to get and get get hold of you, Ranate, but we're going to stay with Shane for now and continue the conversation with him. Thank you, Renate. That's Renate Swobinski. She has to go back because the conference is happening. She's heading it. She is the president of the 14th Conference of the International Radiation Protection Association. We're going to stay with Shane just for a little bit more, and then uh, we're going to wrap up this conversation. It's live radio. These things happen. And and we had to let go of Renate there. But give us your thoughts about the issue of radiation. Hey, do you think that we have the capacity to make sure that when we do move into nuclear power plants, we actually have the capacity to protect citizens from it? Do we know enough as citizens as well? And maybe that's something, as Shane was highlighting earlier, that sometimes misinformation reaches the citizens. And maybe we don't actually understand what nuclear energy is all about. Give us your thoughts on this conversation. You can take it anywhere you want to. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero is our SMS number. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can email us at info at channelafrica dot org. And uh, thank you to those who are listening to us from the USA, listening to us via that call in from six zero five four seven five one seven one one. It's eleven thirty Central African Time. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to continue with Shane as we wrap up the conversation.
7: Welcome to Africa. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views and great African entertainment. You can now
5: catch Channel Africa
4: on DSTV Audio Bokeh, Channel
7: 902. <laughs> Channel
0: Africa
7: the voice of the African Renaissance.
2: Today we're discussing radiation and also is Africa ready for nuclear energy and the capacity to ensure that we do have those radiation protection facilities and experts. We've been speaking to Shane Motaloja who is a managing director of Malepa Holdings and also we were speaking earlier on to Renate Zawinski, who is a German and president of the conference the 14th conference of the International Radiation Protection Association. She's one of uh, the panelists now so we had to let her go because she's going back in to uh, join the rest of the delegates with the conversation i'm sure you want to also go back in shane but let's wrap it up from that element of the issue that you are highlighting in terms of misrepresentation of nuclear energy and also what do we need to teach ordinary citizens about uh, nuclear energy and radiation protection shane are you there with us Hello. Oh, yes, yeah, Shane. I was just yeah, asking. You're sure. Shane, you were asking if you, you mentioned a very important uh, point earlier on about the issue that sometimes information is actually uh, reaches the citizens, but it's not the right kind of information about nuclear energy. We've heard this whole issue about the Fukushima disaster in 2011. Seems like every time we hear about nuclear, we go directly into that disaster, and very much uh, most of the citizens are. Are very cautious when they think about nuclear energy what kind of messaging should we send people to people about um nuclear energy and about the capacity we have for radiation protection
6: okay you know in fact yesterday in one of the sessions we were talking um, exactly about that uh, that the, the radiation professionals do not necessarily communicate a uh, more than they should. For example, um, we we are at the moment reviewing our lessons learned from the Fukushima Daiichi uh, um, um, disaster but um as we were saying yesterday the public will actually not know where the story ended Hmm. and and, um, one of the outcomes is that we need to communicate even more so that people can follow the story up to where it ends up and then we are able to tell them what went wrong and how are we going to ensure that it doesn't happen for those power plants that are in operation and maybe the disaster has not yet happened there. How do they get themselves ready to ensure that um, a similar disaster does not happen? But I can assure you that there's quite a lot of people who are undergoing training at the moment in in, in various countries, uh, be it in, in China, be it in France, be it in the U.S., and um, a whole host of um, radiation protection professionals, even Mm. nuclear engineers, are in the pipeline. And I believe that um, a conference like this ensures that we are able to tap into the vast knowledge that the other uh, speakers and presenters have. We also have a number of posters that um, uh, are on display here, Mm. and uh, some of them were actually made by South Africans. Uh, even though that uh, uh, even though we are not happy at the number of posters we have but we have undertaken as uh, the South african um, radiation protection association that in the next uh, uh, irpa conference irpa 15 basically in south korea we are going to have double the number of um, posters that are here from south africans and we are going to make sure that the speakers that um, We'll be making presentations. We are going to double the number of uh, uh, South African delegates who are going to be speaking at those. Because we believe that Mm -hmm. uh, with time, our colleagues from the young professionals are also gaining confidence. They are also learning a lot, and Mm -hmm. they would be able to stand in front of the esteemed guests and uh, basically present the the South African case South African case. Sure.
2: As we wrap it up, Shane, I hope that it's not just a talking shop, the 14th Conference of the International Radiation Protection Association. What is aimed to be achieved post this conference? What do you want to achieve when things come to a standstill at the end of it?
6: Um, uh, Let me put it this way. It's twofold. I must say to you that I have been nominated Uh, to represent uh, SARPA in the uh, ILPA Executive uh, Council. Uh, I'm the only African delegate there. Uh, Congratulations, sir. (laughs) Thank you very much. The vote is this afternoon, so hold thumbs. And then maybe we will have the first black African in that uh, council, sure, sure. who is also a younger guy. Fortunately, mm-hmm. you you don't see me and uh, trust me I'm <laughs> younger And um, So we believe that if we are in the council, we would be able to also ensure that the African agenda is on the IRPA uh, um Uh, agenda as well. We are not trying to politicize this, but we are trying to say the needs of the young professionals uh, also need to be taken into consideration, because uh, whatever decisions are taken, it affects everybody in the space. So that's one of the outcomes. The next one, we wanted to ensure that and our colleagues, we have just joined the industry. A whole host of them uh, just qualified uh, from the universities with their master's degrees. But they need uh, a whole lot of um, experience to be able to participate in the space, and not only participate, but participate effectively. Because that's what we need if we are going to protect our power plants, or most importantly, members of the public against any uh, radiation effects.
2: Well, congratulations for your nomination. We wish you all the best that you could represent both South Africa and the rest of the continent in that uh, association. Indeed, thank you for giving us your time, Shane.
6: Thank you very much. Keep
2: well, eh? Fantastic. That's Shane Mutaloha. And
6: happy
2: birthday. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for wishing us a happy birthday. Remember, yes, Channel Africa is celebrating its 50th celebration this year indeed. And Shane, thank you for that uh, happy birthday sending to our team here. And uh, that's Shane Mutaloha, who is the Managing Director of Malepa Holdings. Before we wrap it up, there was an interesting conversation one of my colleagues, Wandile Kalipa, had with uh, Dr. Jack Valentine, who is of the National Commission of Radiology Protection, and this is how it went.
1: Basically, on radiological protection, and the theme of the Congress is practicing protection and then sharing the experience and the new challenges that we face. So, the people who are here are really the professionals who are working practically, with radiological protection. And we try to help each other to face whatever new developments there are. And these include, of course, improved technology, increased presence of radiation in society, and responses to emergency. And so that's what the Congress is all about.
4: How dangerous is radiation to our health as well as to other species And plants as well.
1: Yes. We're all, of course, even sources of radiation because there's natural radiation, including our own bodies. There are areas in the world where this natural radiation is of such a high level that it is a concern in itself. And there are also the concerns of natural radiation in buildings, radon gas concentrates. But most people presumably think of the context of nuclear operations, although the most significant source of man-made radiation is in fact that which comes at hospitals in the use of radiation for medical purposes. Um, Of course that is a very good thing and at the same time it needs to be used with conscience and in a way that doesn't cause unnecessary radiation exposure.
4: Talking about the protection from radiation how has it been done over the years and uh, the progress that has been achieved in order to protect humans as well as
1: other species that is a very good question because it relates to the development of our knowledge of the biological effects and, and medical effects of radiation and in the past people were thinking only of the acute dramatic effects that you could get if you had very high doses of radiation when in a sense you would literally burn holes in people with radiation and at the time when we started to use radiation such things actually happened that is not a major concern today because the doses are too low to cause that but then the other ghost pops up that of causing cancer and possibly some genetic effects And so with that, that's the problem that even the smallest dose of radiation also confers a small, small risk. And and since, as I said, there's already natural radiation there, it's not a risk that we can escape, but we can try to manage it.
4: And uh, looking at this uh, radiation protection, how safe
1: are we? For practical purposes, we are safe. This is a typical question... Where the expert makes a mistake of saying almost or the probability is such and such, but that doesn't make sense when we're communicating with each other because in reality life is full of small, small risks which we tolerate because there's not that much we can or need to do about them, and the normal situation with radiation is just that there is a the level of radiation which causes so small risk that, in practical terms, it is safe. Well, the problem comes when there is an emergency, for instance, if an accident happens or the machine is strapped and nobody thinks of the source. In those sorts of cases, com- people can get higher doses, and That is, of course, one aspect of protection. In everyday work, the protection is focused on having doses as low as reasonably achievable, i.e. we should always strive to reduce any unnecessary exposure and to make sure that all the uses of radiation were justified.
4: What would you say is the level of exposure that we could uh, be able to tolerate this radiation?
1: The average level of dose that everybody on Earth gets, the the average level is about 2.5 millis. The complication there is that, of course, even the smallest unnecessary risk should be reduced if it doesn't cost you So for a protection person, you would like to reduce unnecessary doses, even if they're lower than this band, which I regard. On the other hand, if you are there and you have this dose, I would still regard it as safe.
4: We had almost, I think, three or more accidents when it came to nuclear radiation, as it is with Chernobyl, Fukushima, and... Uh, some other areas in south of the u.s so how do we protect ourselves
1: from that in the first place by ensuring that the safety of the plant is such that accidents are extremely unlikely to happen that's the first stage the next stage is of course to mitigate the consequences in case something happens, even in spite of strict safety and security regulations. And one of the things that nowadays is being done is people try to equip their nuclear power stations with filtered ventilation. If you imagine a accident sequence at a nuclear power plant, there's usually a build-up of gas which might cause an explosion, and with the explosion you would get spread of radioactive material. This was exactly what happened in Fukushima, and in a sense, a similar thing happened in Chernobyl. And in both of those cases, it would have been better if there had been ventilation so that you could control a small release of gas to prevent an explosion. If we go back to earlier accidents, the one in America, Three Mile Island or Harrisburg that you were referring to, there, they never had an explosion. So, in fact, that was not, from the public point of view, an accident. It was a workplace incident which is very interesting scientifically but had no consequence whatsoever for the public.
9: Good morning with the Economics Update, I'm Jolani Tulo. South Africa has partnered with Iran to develop desalination plants along all coastal communities to boost water supplies. Last year, the country recorded its lowest annual rainfall levels since comprehensive records began in 1904 as an El Nino-driven drought is putting millions at risk of food shortage. Water and Sanitation Minister Nomvula says the first investment meeting with Iran, which was visited by President Jacob Zuma month takes place next month and that there were no indicative costs at this stage. The largest desalination plant in South Africa which converts salty seawater to drinkable water is situated in Mossel Bay in the Western Cape. The World Economic Forum on Africa gets underway in Kaj in Kigali, Rwanda, on Wednesday, the three-day discussion forum will be centered on how African economies can use digital technologies to advance economic growth. The gathering will also look at the skills gap, energy deficient across the continent, and food security. About 10 heads of state are attending the forum, with 1,200 participants present. Tepa reports from the Rwandan capital, Kigali.
0: About 40 different panel discussions will take place over the next three days featuring heads of state, ministers, business representatives and civil society. Team South Africa is led by Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa who will take part in a panel discussion on infrastructure investment. Finance Minister Praveen Gordon will share a stage with his counterparts from Cote d'Ivoire and Rwanda to talk about transformation.
9: South Africa's Competition Tribunal has conditionally approved a SAB, Miller and Coca-Cola deal to combine their African soft drink operations into what would be the continent's biggest Coke drinks bottler. In a bid to fast-track the antitrust probe, SAB, Miller and Coca-Cola struck a deal with the South African government earlier this month that included a $53 million investment to support small businesses and a three-year freeze on layoffs. Rwanda's franc is likely to fall 8% in 2016 and about 5% in each of the two following years. The central bank governor says this is a construction boom, rather this as construction boom boom fuels the demand for dollar-priced imports. Given the drop in foreign exchange reserves, the International Monetary Fund has said the authorities should allow the exchange rate to adjust as necessary. The currency has lost 11 percent of its value against the dollar in the last year, eating into foreign exchange reserves, according to data by Reuters. And finally, Toyota Motor Corporation forecast a bigger-than-expected 35 percent tumble in net profit for the current year due to the sharp appreciation of the yen, this ending three straight Years of record profits driven by part Part by a weak currency. The Japanese automaker says profit for the year ending in March 2017 will fall to 13.81 billion U.S. dollars. Taking a look at the financial indicators this hour, the U.S. dollar is trading at 15.30 to the South African rand, at 10.78 to the Botswana pula, and at 9.81 to the Zambian kwacha. It is also trading at 0.69 to the British pound and 0.87 to the euro. On the commodities market, gold is trading at 1,271 dollars and platinum at 1,000 fifty-nine dollars an ounce. Finally, the price of Brent crude oil is at forty-four dollars ninety-eight cents a barrel. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo.
2: Well now we've got Fig Zorzo to give us our sports. That's Fila Linguati.
0: First up in our sports update this hour is football news. Botswana Premier League defending champions, Muchudi Center Chiefs, pulled out of the 2016 CAF Champions League after winning the 2014 2015 League Championship. Chiefs again won the current 2015 2016 League title, but they are yet to incur the wrath of CAF for pulling out earlier this year. Chiefs had been drawn to play Mozambique's Ferroviário in the CAF Champions League preliminary stages earlier this year. But there was a walkover after the Botswana side pulled out in the last minute. Botswana Premier League executive Mbiwa Bonohile reveals this organization is awaiting CAF's charges and their punishment.
5: What happened this year, the champions are Mushidi Center Chiefs as well. Same applies like last season. I, I, I'm not sure because they, this season they were supposed to participate in the Champions League. But at the last minute, they pulled out of the competition. So I'm yet to know what the charges have kept laid on them for not participating in this year's, um, in this year's competition. So I'm still waiting for the charges to come.
0: KEF takes a dim view of clubs who pull out of their competitions and often slams the clubs with suspensions from their events. And the lack of Botswana's club's participation in the Pan-African competitions could have an adverse effect on the Botswana national team performances during the AFCON qualifiers, the World Cup qualifiers and the CHAN events respectively. And while funding seems not to be a major reason for clubs' refusal to play in KEF events, concerns have been raised.
5: They have not indicated what uh, might be their major problem. As far as uh, we are concerned, they have not told us their situation, so we are we cannot preempt to say they did not have they do they don't have funding. It's a big team that has uh, sponsors, so I don't think the issue of funding should be a problem to them, or at least that they they have not told the association that they don't have the funds.
0: And in local football. South African Premiership side SuperSport United will be eager to consolidate their place in the top eight of the Apsa Premiership when they host Mbumalanga Black Aces at the Lucas Muripe Stadium in Pretoria tonight. United have a proud record of finishing in the top half of the table and having missed out on an opportunity to climb to seventh this past weekend. Stuart Baxter will be expecting a response from his charges dean Femin's superb strike looked to have sealed all three points for the Pretoria side but bulukwane city scored a late equalizer to secure a two-all draw in the capital in another match free state stars will be hoping to end their winless run in the Absa premiership when they host kaiser chiefs at the Gobble park in the free state province stars played to a one-all draw and with platinum stars at home in the previous league game like him netted for the home side The draw extended Stars' winless run to six league matches. They have lost three and drawn three in their current streak. And in rugby news, the Springbok Sevens playmaker Ross Speckman is determined to help his team to a convincing performance in this weekend's HSBC Paris Sevens Tournament and is looking forward to play with the Blitzbok again. Speckman was in fine form in previous tournaments but was rested for the previous two tournaments of the HSBC World Rugby 7 Series and missed the Hong Kong and Singapore events. Coach Neil Powell included the playmaker for Paris, the second-last tournament in the 2015-2016 series. And finally, with athletics, former Boston Marathon winner Wesley Korir is in the Kenyan team for this year's Olympic Games continuing a history of contentious selections by the East African country famed for its long-distance runners. Korir, who won Boston in 2012, but was fourth last month, was included alongside twice-London Marathon champion Eliud Kipchoge and Stanley Bewart, who won last year's New York City Marathon. Cyprien Kotut, who won the Paris Marathon, and Bernard Kipiego are named as reserve. World record holder Dennis Kimeto and Wilson Kipsang who won Olympic bronze in London four years ago, were not considered after failing to finish at last year's world championships in Beijing. On the other women's London side, winner Jemina Sumgong, Paris champion Viceline Jebkesho, and world silver medalist Hela Kiprop made a team for Rio. Florence Kiplagat, who won the Chicago Marathon last October, and Mary Keitani were named as reserves. Kenya will name its final athletics team during the Olympic trials from the 29th of June to the 2nd of July. And that's the Sport News this hour.
2: Well, that's how we wrap up the program today. Thank you for joining us. Well, we also wrapped up our topic with uh, Dr. Jack Valentine. They're speaking uh, to uh, Wandila Kalipa. Dr. Jack Valentine is of the International Commission on Radiology Protection, rather. That's the International Commission on Radiology Protection speaking to our reporter Wandila Kalipa on the issue of the safety of nuclear and also the topic of radiation hey do you think that we have enough uh, uh, manpower enough for uh, skills on the african continent to deal with the shift uh, to nuclear forms of generating electricity give us your thoughts really you can sms us on plus plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can email us at info at channel don't forget that we also have that uh, african dialogue or twitter handle at african dialogue Thank you for joining us today. Those who are listening to us from the continent and outside, thank you for being part of our conversations today. Until uh, tomorrow, God
9: bless. Now, I'm going to call on stage Brahe Beats, to sing with me. Now, when Alan Selinger wrote this song, Ingo Ma'e Ting Diamondu Kangela, lag, Lang, However, if you remember, people were detained during those times, right? And most times when you're looking for a relative, they were in jail. And most times they never came
7: out.
8: Running, running, funny
9: love
8: you.